We're back in Mark's Gospel this evening, and our focus remains entirely on Jesus and Jesus' power over all those things that are so utterly beyond human control. Not even the combined efforts of the mightiest superpowers of the UN can reign in the winds or tame the seas. But in Mark 4, Jesus pacified a sea storm with greater ease than most of us could pacify a toddler. There are libraries of books dedicated to helping us restrain even the mildest of our own inclinations towards evil. But in Mark 5, Jesus ordered a legion of demonic spirits about like he was giving instructions to a timid dog. In today's passage, we meet a woman who has been internally bleeding for 12 years and an adolescent girl so desperately ill that she dies. And in each instance... Jesus' authority is as boundless as it is absolute. The fullness of his power matched only by the fullness of his compassion. We're going to focus on three of the sentences that Jesus says in this passage. Two sentences to the bleeding woman and one of the sentences that Jesus says to Jairus and his friends. Because those three sentences don't just reveal that the character and caliber of Jesus' power they also tell us the only appropriate way for us to respond to him. So three sentences that summed up in just two points. Point one, Jesus' superabundant peacemaking power. As we follow the story, we find ourselves part of a large crowd that's been following Jesus as he makes his way to the house of Jairus, a synagogue leader whose daughter is dying. It is noisy, it is sweaty, people are pressing and prodding up against one another as the crowd heaves around Jesus. And in the midst of all the buzz and bustle, Jesus suddenly stops and he looks around and he asks a ridiculous question. Jesus, in the midst of the buzz and bustle, asks, who touched his clothes? Which is a ridiculous question, not because no one had, but because everyone had. Imagine asking the same question at rush hour on the central line, and you'll realise why the disciples react with such confusion. Jesus, you've seen the crowd, right? Everyone is touching your clothes. Except one person in the crowd knows exactly what Jesus means. And as Jesus scans the crowd, she knows that he is looking for her. Because moments earlier, she had reached out to touch the corner of his clothing. And in that instance, her, in that instant, her 12 years of bleeding had been brought to an end. That briefest of brushes with Jesus had succeeded where 12 years of medical skill and a lifetime's savings had failed because Jesus' power is super abundant. If you'd seen the crowd walking past that day, you may well not even have noticed Jesus. He was pressed in on all sides, one unassuming body among many, but within him, is an ocean of power so plentiful that the merest moment in his presence will drench you head to toe in newness of life. 
like a thirsty child holding out her cup under the outer edges of the Niagara Falls. This woman had brought her biggest needs to the very corner of Jesus's presence. And she had experienced the boundless torrent of his superabundant power. But Jesus doesn't want her to stay there, hovering on the edge. He wants to bring her right into the center. As he scans the crowd, looking for the person who had touched him amongst a heaving crowd of people who are pressing up against him, this woman knows exactly who Jesus is looking for. And as she realizes that the mightiest power to ever walk the face of the earth is focusing his entire attention on searching her out, Her knees and her feet give way. She falls at his feet, trembling, her mind tormented with fear, her heart a sea storm of shame. And she hears the sweetest words that human ears can ever hear. The full expression of what Jesus' superabundant power is powerful to bring about. Look at the second of Jesus' two sentences in verse 34. Go in peace and be freed. Do you doubt the power of those words? Do you doubt that Jesus' words brought with them everything that they promised? Do you doubt that the raging winds of shame and the crashing waves of despair weren't shut up in an instant by the peace and freedom that Jesus spoke to this woman? Jesus spoke in 4 verse 39 and his words brought peace and quiet to the sea. Jesus spoke in 5 verse 8 and his words brought peace and order to the mind of the demon-possessed man. In 5 verse 41, later on, Jesus will speak again and his words will bring peace and life to the dead body of a dead daughter. And now, as Jesus spoke, his words were ministering peace and freedom to this woman's trembling and pain-snared heart because Jesus's power is super abundant and his super abundant power is powerful to bring peace. It can be a fearful thing to realize the full extent of Jesus's power And it can be a vulnerable thing to kneel at his feet. Even the outer corner of what Jesus has to say to us is powerful enough to turn our entire lives inside out and upside down. And many of us will know or have seen firsthand what can happen when someone with little power kneels at the feet of someone with much. There are powers in this universe that have determined to wage war against God's creation, twisting what God has set in order, tearing apart what God has joined together, and raging against what God has called right and good. Those warring powers will devour us if they are given the chance, but that, that is not what Jesus' power looks like. Jesus' power does not look like a war against nature, Jesus' power looks like the afternoon sun resting over a stilled sea. Jesus' power looks like a man sitting quietly and in his right mind. Jesus' power looks like waking up a young girl and offering her breakfast, and like setting an outcast woman free from her suffering and free from her shame. 
Because Jesus' power is not some alien invading power, twisting and tearing creation out of shape. Jesus' power is the power to put everything in its right and proper place. And the right and proper place for this shamed woman is at the very center of Jesus' attention, in the very heart of his affection, noticed, exalted, and utterly beloved. Mark wants us to know that Jesus is brimming with power, but that's not all he wants us to know. He wants us to know, point one, that Jesus' superabundant power is powerful to bring peace. And point two, he wants us to know how that peace-bringing power is received. Look down at verse 34, and let me read both sentences that Jesus says to that woman. Verse 34, he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Point one, Jesus' superabundant peace-bringing power is, point two, received by faith alone. At the very end of this passage, after Jairus' daughter is brought powerfully back to life, Jesus instructs the young girl's family to give her something to eat. And I imagine they didn't need much encouragement. I imagine they didn't need much encouragement to throw a feast of ripe fruits and choice meats and fine wines, foods full of taste and flavor and nutrition and life. But it wouldn't have taken long for that little girl to return straight to her deathbed if she had been content to simply sit in the presence of all that food and never to actually eat any of it. She would have died again so very quickly if she had simply sat looking at the food, smelling it and maybe even touching it, but never actually eating it. Because it's one thing for food to be life-giving, but it's quite another thing to take hold of that food, eat it, and live. Food is full of life-giving power, but food's life-giving power is utterly useless to you unless you actually eat it. Being near food, well, that's not enough. And the same is true of Jesus. It's one thing for Jesus to be full of superabundant peace-bringing power, but it's quite another thing for you and I to respond to his power by receiving his peace. And this crowded passage makes that contrast crystal clear. When the bleeding woman approached Jesus, she had to squeeze her way through a bustling crowd. It was noisy, it was sweaty, it was the central line at 5.30 on a Friday, but crowding around Jesus was not enough. That wasn't what set this woman apart, and it wasn't how this woman was healed. People were pressing and prodding up against one another. There were elbows everywhere, and absolutely everyone was brushing up against Jesus' clothing. But prodding and pressing and brushing up against him wasn't enough either. Everyone was doing that, and that was not how this woman was healed. She wasn't healed because she was standing near him, 
She wasn't healed because she physically touched him. Verse 34, Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. She wasn't healed because she was standing near him. She wasn't healed because she physically touched him. She was healed because she trusted him, reaching out with her heart to grasp hold of him by faith, trusting that he could do what no one else had been able to. Do you notice Jesus doesn't say she was saved because of her bravery. He doesn't say she was saved because of her cunning. He doesn't even say she was saved because of her humility or her patience or her fear. There was nothing that this woman had that she was able to contribute towards making herself well. And there was nothing that she could do to make herself more worthy of what Jesus was willing to freely offer her. Jesus says she was saved by one thing and one thing only, faith and faith alone. That act of the mind which presents itself before Jesus with open and empty hands and says, I am hungry, please feed me. I am empty, please fill me. You are powerful, Will you grant me peace? I am dead. Please bring me to life. Which is actually what Jairus had said to Jesus on behalf of his daughter right at the start of this story. And so perhaps at this point, our thoughts may have started to wander back to him. Because some of us will relate strongly to this woman, set free from her suffering and filled with overwhelming joy and peace. But I imagine that many of us here this evening will find ourselves relating instead in at least some way to how Jairus must be feeling at this point in the passage. You've come to Jesus, you've kneeled before him with empty and desperate hands And the daughter who used to be ill is now dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? To which Jesus says his third sentence there in verse 35. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Maybe you're rejoicing with the woman in verse 34. You've heard Jesus say your faith has healed you and you already know the peace that Jesus has promised in your body as well as your soul. But maybe you're still standing with Jairus. Maybe you've been praying to Jesus for years about a poorly daughter or a besetting sin or a crippling need or a struggling friend. And maybe you've been waiting to hear verse 34 for a very long time, but all you ever seem to hear is verse 36. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Can I say, if that is you today, then friends, this is a passage for you. Because Jesus' promises are not for the already healed or the already at peace. Jesus' promises are for the broken and the empty 
and the struggling and the sick. It is not the well who need a doctor, but the sick. And that is who Jesus came to call to repentance. And the fact that we are broken, the fact that we are empty, the fact we are struggling and sick, that is not a reason to doubt his promises. It is a reason to cling to them. Jesus' promises are not given to people who don't need them, but to people who desperately do. In the words of one Italian reformer, he promises resurrection, but to the dead. He promises eternal life, but to the decaying. He calls them blessed, yet they abundantly thirst and hunger and are oppressed on all sides. He pronounces men justified, yet they are covered with sins and with filth. You don't need me to tell you that it can feel like a desperate struggle to live by faith in this world, trusting in Jesus' promises. But Jesus' superabundant peace-bringing power is received by faith and by faith alone. Because if Jesus' peace could be received without faith, then it wouldn't be given as a promise. And if Jesus' peace wasn't given as a promise, then it wouldn't be given to the people who actually and really and truly need it. People whose daughters are dead and whose lives are in disarray. So can I say, if you need Jesus' promises this evening, if you are sick or struggling, if you are broken or stumbling, if you are physically dying or you are spiritually dead, then friends, do not be afraid. Just believe because Jesus' promises are entirely for you and they will keep being for you until the day on which every last one of his promises blossoms into everlasting and powerful peace. Verse 34 will come for you. The day on which we will each see the Lord Jesus put everything in creation back in its perfect and proper place. The day when we will see him still the sea, raise the dead to life, cast out Satan, and when you and I will hear those words that Jesus spoke to that once bleeding woman, as he showers compassion on us to wash away our sin and wash away our shame. But until then, we find ourselves standing with Jairus in verse 35 and commanded, verse 36, to have faith instead of fear. So until that final day finally comes, let's hear now and cling by faith to what we will hear then in glorious fulfillment from the very lips of Jesus himself. Little child, wake up. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. As the band comes up, let me lead us in a closing prayer. Lord Jesus, you are super abundant in power and your super abundant power is powerful to bring peace. You promise that peace which the world cannot give, and you promise it to we who truly and desperately need it. So we pray, would you give us faith that clings to your promises? We are empty. We ask you to fill us. We are hungry. 
We ask you to feed us. We are dead in ourselves. So we ask you to resurrect us to life in your name. For we pray it by faith in nothing but your power and love. Amen.